0: Smart politics for stupid times. Welcome to the unprecedented podcast with John Aravosis and Cliff Schechter. Welcome back,
1: everybody. Tuesday, September 22nd.
0: Uh, John Aravosis here with Cliff Schechter. Cliff? <laughs> Hi, John. I'm laughing because a car alarm started going off, and I know how you <laughs> like background noise. So uh, I
1: oh, maybe I didn't hear it. I couldn't hear it. No.
0: Um no. Yeah. The only background noise John likes is so. Is that
1: American is that American carnage in your background, Cliff?
0: It is. There's car alarms going off. There's white people walking with lattes too close to cars that are setting the alarms off, and I don't know uh-huh. if they'll ever recover. Antifa. Anyway, um, they may be late to their PhD classes or to to their hedge fund meeting or their Antifa okay. meetings.
1: They're uh, uh, right. speaking of which, so today's guest, Jared Yates Sexton, is back. Um, I wanted Jared. Back A returning on to, champion, if you will. Returning champion, because this is our Civil War week at the unprecedented podcast, where we <laughs> we fret about the upcoming Civil War. And to be, uh, to be fair, John isn't yes? every week now Civil War week. I know that's true. That's true. It's, like infra- it's like infrastructure. It's like infrastructure week. <laughs>
0: exactly, but more blood. Um, exactly, but, um, and actually doing something as opposed to just saying it.
1: But yes, we got Jared today, and then we should have Amanda Marcotte later this week, who is going to also be talking to us about the sky falling. Uh Jared as you guys should know is a writer political analyst and author of the new book American Rule how a nation conquered the world but failed its people. Um and as I recall I don't know was it that book or not Jason uh, J- Jared because I've got written down next to it from our last interview I wrote down faux populism.
2: Was that sort yeah, of Yeah the- that that yeah that that's part of it the the entire mythology that sort of creates not just trumpism but neo-fascism and what we're fighting right now it's all based in this Faux populism and fake religious nationalistic uh, mythology that that Trump and people like him use. I
0: mean, I I am always suspicious uh, of populism, you know, I mean, I know we need it sometimes on the left, but I look at it like a bit of an elixir you go to sometimes um, and don't go to too often. Because it gets it, it by its nature, populism gets people to be more emotional, think a little bit less, get very frothy, and and be ready to go. You know, light a, a tiki torch, so to speak. Frothy, <laughs> grab the guillotine. Yeah, I mean, seriously. Look, I mean, we have a problem with the far right in this country, but you know, you could look if if you want to call it the far left. There have been plenty of, of of far left mobs in places like Russia you know, 1917. And as you were pointing out with your guillotine reference, my God, every new group that came along in the French yeah. revolution was a week later, they were no longer radical enough. And they were, they were beheaded. I mean, it's pretty funny that Robespierre ended up getting beheaded because he was no longer radical enough, you know, like th- that's, I don't know. I don't want to get into the whole thing, but I'm always suspicious of it for that reason.
2: Wait, wait, you guys didn't invite me on to talk about the French revolution. These I mean, notes are you never, I thought you, you were never a huge know. fan. You never know
0: there's your own discs jared Exactly. thumbs up or thumbs down okay okay
1: well, well no but I, I guess I, you know let's i mean we're gonna dive into all the trump stuff today I, especially i wanted and cliff and i both wanted to talk about these concerns about where we're heading for election day uh what trump's gonna do i mean part of it though is i'm watching the latest news again and i'm still and i'm sure we've asked you this before but i'm gonna ask you again to see if you've got any more answer to it but you know i'm i'm watching Trump again last night talk about how the virus barely affects anybody. Uh, it affects virtually nobody. He said he, um, he talked about it only affects old people. And I'm glad, you know, CNN picked up on it this, this morning, uh, Sanjay Gupta interviewing their doctor, interviewing uh, Anthony Fauci. And Sanjay's like, you know, my parents, my parents are in their seventies. My dad's got, you know, heart disease. That's like one of the big comorbidities, the big risks. And and then Fauci jumps in and goes, I'm in my seventies. <laughs> like, and hey. you know, but I mean, you've got you've got them dissing old people again, which they've done repeatedly. Their own people. I'll stop rambling. But this morning there was a, a yet another poll showing that most Americans don't want to take the viral, uh, the antiviral, when it comes out, the vaccination, and Republicans even less likely than Democrats to take
0: it, right? For different for reasons, some, though, I'm sure. If you look, there's at some the anti vaxxers
1: thrown in there, right? But but right. I guess and, I just, and
0: some because Trump has led them to question everything coming from experts Well, except, he's also us, pushing, it's not the experts it's the trump but he's pushing trust. the
1: vaccination clip. i guess all i'm saying all i'm trying to throw out there is i'm still scratching my head trying to understand is there no point that people understand and go you know what this guy's fucking me over too why am i supporting him
2: well, that's the big question. I, and I think that's the argument that needs to be made. I'll, I'll, I'll start off first mm-hmm. off. Like, I got up this morning and I watched that clip, the the thing that's like coronavirus is not affected, you know. Virtually harmony. nobody! Yeah, virtually nobody. And I have to tell you, first of all, that, and, and maybe this is getting too personal too quick because I'm still digesting this. Uh, my mom, about an hour ago, just went and got a, uh, a COVID test. Right. And she is a person who has severe COPD and, you know, is, is the that's ideal. A long, that's a long issue, correct? It's the, I, she is the ideal victim of this thing. Right. And even though we're talking about my mother, it's like I have students, I, I have friends, I have family members that I'm terrified that they're going to get sick. My, right. my life has been interrupted for months upon months. First of all, it's insulting. Second of all, th- there's a lot of stuff at play here. I think first and foremost, we have a group of people, particularly Fox viewers or sort of the generation that Trump is sort of talking to here. Right. We have a lot of people we saw in the very beginning that were like, oh, I'm willing to die so my grandkids can go out to, you know, to brunch or whatever. Right. And that that is like speaking to this mythology of the so-called greatest generation, right, who have always been, you know, the idea that they're going to sacrifice themselves or or they'll be the, the heroes of history through sacrifice. So I think that they're more than willing to sort of say, don't worry about us. We'll we'll die from this thing or we've already died from this thing. There's a lot of generational appeal there. But also we have to look at this and understand that the appeal of Trumpism is saying, yeah, the world is absolutely shitty, and there are no resources whatsoever. And y'all need to fight for them. But as long as you're fighting for them, join my prison gang." right? It's the same reason why like the Aryan nation gets people who are in prison. It's like, no, you are desperate, and you have to join somebody and join up on some cause. Mm-hmm. And that's the appeal of Trumpism. And the truth is, that we're in a we're in a moment of artificial austerity. It doesn't have to be like this. And I think that once we start talking to people and realizing that through solidarity and organization and recognizing common purpose, you can start to realize that this guy's screwing us all over, like you said.
0: See, I think, and I would throw in, you know, the the Marxist analysis of the world from the past. Mm-hmm. You know, that economically oppressed groups could come together. Um, always misunderstood. The the problem with that our DNA is still coded from when we, you know, we drew pictures on walls, and we went out and clubbed something over the head and ate it. Um, And the fact that we, you know, we still have these, these, the uh, prehistoric almost, that's not the right word, but we still have the parts of our brain. Drew Weston wrote a great book about this, the political brain, um, and, and we still have those parts that are reactionary, that are fight or flight, that and, and one of those is the tribal part of our brain. I mean, it, it is a natural thing in evolution, if you think about it, huh. that if you don't know any better, um, that something that looks different from you, racially, size, if they come from a different place and sound different, whatever, you're going to fear more than those who are like you. And the problem well, in, is in, we've theoretically gotten – I'll just finish the point quickly. We've theoretically with education and everything else gotten to a point where we understand these things and can overcome them. But, uh, but especially in our modern age, a cheap demagogue playing upon those very things and knowing how to do it, you know, running almost like a psyops campaign, and that's what we've allowed to become mainstream with our TV and radio and whatever, can get people into those same positions where they are willing to even embrace death if it means they're part of an in-group it's incredible go ahead sorry
2: and real fast no cliff I, i i had a moment there because you know we started out this with you joking about the french revolution but one of the things that like after like the revolution took place what you actually saw was that the revolutionaries decided there was no way to lead to a liberal sort of state of, of solidarity because of religious myth. And that they actually started destroying the idea of, uh, of Christendom and they created the cult of the supreme being. They tried to create something to replace it in the same way that the Soviets, of course, created a cult of personality. Right. I think instead of trying to do that, I think what you're talking about in terms of tribalism or in terms of those uniting myths I think what we have to do is we have to find a new dream or a new direction for America that separates itself from this exceptionalism slash white supremacist mythology and creates a new direction. I think that I think you're right. It's not enough to simply say that there's solidarity. There has to be some sort of inspiration and uniting factor that somehow or another can short circuit this absolute bullshit faux populism and not just Trumpism, but neo-fascism. Okay, but I, this thing, I think,
1: I, I may disagree with you on this because I was looking at your tweets this morning and I have never had a problem with the, what do we want to call it? But the American, you can say American exceptionalism, whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, I've seen it on my own in terms of my politics. When I go abroad and I talk to Europeans about the activism I do, and I've had, forget it in Greece, in Greece I'd be dead. But, but even in France, I've had people tell me, I can't believe, like, they let you get away with stuff like that. You know, the gay activism I've done over the years, the LGBT activism, because it's so outrageous taking on Dick Cheney when he was vice president. They're like, oh, my God, they would never let you, like, here you'd be in real trouble. And we have, obviously, it's different for black people. Obviously, it was way different for slaves. I mean, you can always throw in the asterisk of, of it's not 100%. I get that. But we've had some there, is, there are some unique freedoms in this country that we get, especially in the realm of politics, certainly I'd say in the last 50 years or so, at least, where at least some of us, even a white person of means wouldn't get away with this shit in France, the shit I do here. I wouldn't.
2: I you know, would and I guess- the
1: well, wait, let, let me let me finish one. Later. I guess where I was trying to go with this is, I don't have a problem with presenting America as exceptional. Ted Kennedy would do that. Ted Kennedy's speeches were wonderful. He would go look up some of the old speeches because I knew his staff and I'd watch. I'd watch the staff write them, but they were always about you know about we are unique well the dream that never
0: dies right and and some of these things i I, but i but i think it's i I want jared to to answer answer you when you're done john but i think it's also how you put it and how you phrase it that's that's
1: that's the cliff thank you for saying that because that's the point i was trying to get at. with is i think these unifying dreams of america can be what pull us together which give even people downtrodden say yes I, you know, we don't have a case system. We can overcome it, but I need help overcoming it, government. But, but that's the way you unify people. You don't put out a message that, frankly, sounds like we're saying America sucks. I think that's well, the I, risk we we come to
2: sometimes. I I I, I, I hate to say it. Not that you're saying it, but. If, are, if we huh? want to talk about American exceptionalism, go talk to Native people about American exceptionalism. Yeah, go but talk that to applies Native to every country. country.
1: I mean, I don't want to get into the right yeah, way here, but really? You like, mean, why... well, no, <laughs> I mean, I actually everybody killed me...
2: everybody to move on in the next John, year. Hey, that's that's part part the... The... Sorry, go on, go on. That's part of the problem. I, hmm. John, I agree what? with you to a certain extent, but that's part of the problem is that the myth of American exceptionalism is based on the myth of so-called Western civilization, which was about the exploitation and genocide of people. That doesn't mean that we can't talk about great things that America has done. I actually think it's more impressive when you look at the fact that our framers and our founders created a system that was created intentionally to privilege white, wealthy, slaveholding men to realize that the espoused principles of freedom, liberty, and equality, although they weren't realized, were a wonderful goalpost. They were something that we could aspire to. And one of the things that you see when you look at someone like a Thurgood Marshall who talked constantly about this, Hmm. America was not great whenever it was founded. It is a continuing project. The problem is when we talk about American exceptionalism and we allow people like Trump To say, oh, if you criticize America whatsoever, you should leave America and you are unpatriotic and you are a traitor. I think we can talk about the fact that the great things that America has done have often been in spite of those methods of control and oppression. So it's not about burning it down and suddenly starting something new. But we have to frame the conversation where we talk about the amazing things Americans can do and that they've been prohibited from doing. So, for instance, real fast.
1: No, no. I mean, we, we
2: want just so you know. Cliff and I
1: sometimes try to cut ourselves off because we ramble when we have a guest, and we, we talk get, too much. So I, we, we, we want to hear the you. guest. We want the guest to well, ramble, so to speak. So go on. You're <laughs> well, not, not, not
2: rambling. You're not rambling I at, at all. But, but that's yeah. what I mean. We'd I'll, like I'll, you to I'll be on. I'll sort of riff. offer this. I'll offer this as as a little bit of a bridge here. So, for instance, I've talked about this on prior podcasts. I come from a poor family of factory workers and laborers, right? So, for instance. If American Basically, the movie, was, the movie Rudy was about your family. More or less, exactly. <laughs> <Kabai> <laughs> I it, was less it was small town Indiana. And, sorry, it was I couldn't small help small town myself. Indiana, and we aspired to be carried out on the show. Jared, Jared. No, I couldn't help myself. Go ahead. Oh, it's all I've ever wanted. Clay. John wants me to try to be funny. I'm trying. But, okay. So one of the things that we need to look at here. Is the fact that the idea of American exceptionalism, the idea that America should just do whatever it does and it's automatically going to work out well, has kept us from things like innovation. My family can have wonderful jobs in manufacturing right now if we would look at a thing like, oh, I don't know, climate change, and realize that we have played a role in not only leading the climate change, but that we could be a heroic figure in climate change. We could actually do things like manufacture alternative energy uh, manufacturing. We could go ahead and take the lead on that. But one of the problems is- That's a lot of the Midwest, by the way, where we have these old exactly. factories that Jared is talking
0: about that could be retrofitted. And some are being now in places like Illinois where they've got Chicago to make them more progressive, but not everywhere. Go ahead. Sorry. And just the,
2: danger here. the danger here is that we have to- We have to stop linking the idea that America has done great things and that Americans have done Mm -hmm. great things. And somehow or another, that it is part of a divine infrastructure, because that divine infrastructure of like God has chosen us to be champions of the world. It legitimizes preemptive violence. It legitimizes overthrowing of democratically elected leaders because, you know, it also has white supremacy. And we also have the dominionists who want to believe that the world is ours to control and do with what we want. And if we can start to talk about why Americans do great things, as opposed to obviously Americans do great things, they're Americans, then that is where we can start to separate ourselves from Trump. It's not a matter of America sucks and let's not change anything versus the other. And
1: now a quick word from our sponsor.
0: Well, John, now that we've said goodbye to summer, it's time for uh, for things to get back in our everyday group. We love things Things. in the groove. I like things that get in the autumn groove. The kids are back in school. Well, some kids are. Everything is flavored with pumpkin spice. (laughs) And before you know it, the leaves will start changing color, John. With so much changing going on around us, it's increasingly difficult to find that extra time for you. The time you need to take care of yourself and look your best. With Plexiderm, all you need is 10 minutes and you can look 10 years younger. How? I'll tell you. Plexiderm is a clinically studied serum that gives your appearance the right kind of changes. It visibly reduces wrinkles, fine lines, and even under eye bags in just minutes. Plexiderm even works on laugh lines, those, those crafty number 11s, and crow's feet. It can take up to 10 years off your appearance in less than 10 minutes. Wow. That's, wow, that's good stuff. Just pour the it all over your face. Yep. Yeah. You really, just bathe in it. The results <laughs> for the best for hours. Yeah. So you can take the family apple picking and look your best the whole time. Even better. Because God knows know. that's my biggest concern when I go apple picking. Okay, so John's going to take the whole family <laughs> apple picking. Um, even better, plexstrom doesn't involve any visits to the surgeon. We like that and costs less than a round of pumpkin spice lattes for you and your friends. Pumpkin spice sucks. But I'll take vanilla latte I like there. pumpkin spice, but go on. Okay. Yeah. Well, to each our own, I suppose. You can try a six application trial pack for just $14.95 with free shipping when you visit Triplexterm.com or call 800-685-1292 and say the code of VOICES. You also The order also comes with free shipping and a $30 money, 30 day, sorry, money back guarantee. Make those wrinkles, lines, and under-eye bags disappear with Plexiderm. Visit triplexiderm.com or call 800-685-1292 and say the code VOICES at checkout.
1: Cliff, did you know that bacteria and viruses live everywhere? Yes. Okay. Uh, your phone, earbuds, car keys, groceries, packages, wallets, even your face mask. Sanitizing these items is an important part of staying safe and healthy, but it can also mean using harmful chemicals that constantly need to be replaced. The Clean Phone line of products changes all that. The Clean Phone brand offers a full range of sanitizing products that use ultraviolet light. This is the same technology used to sanitize hospital rooms and medical equipment. The Clean Phone products have been tested by independent laboratories and provide the best quality UV sanitizing for every need. The Clean Phone is a device designed for phones and household items. It even works as a wireless charger for your cell phone. And now, add the Clean Phone Wand, a portable handheld unit that can go anywhere and be used to sanitize tablets, computers, packages, groceries, and more. Go to thenewdealshop.com. To select the right clean phone products for you, get free FedEx two-day shipping and an added bonus. Get 10% off FDA-authorized respirator face masks. Go to thenewdealshop.com now. That's free FedEx two-day shipping and a bonus 10% off FDA-authorized respirator face masks at thenewdealshop.com. Go there now! And now nice we go back chilling, to... There, I know. Yeah, well, I'm, trying, I'm just getting more and more into this every time. And now we go back to our guest, Jared Jade Sexton. I think there I think there actually is a contingent of America Sucks because it always gets on my nerves. But I think what what the point you are getting across is, you know, if you're a star, you can do anything, you can grab him by the pussy. Right. That that there's that aspect of American exceptionalism, which is per se anything America does is okay because we are divinely knighted. It's sort of the the
0: polar yeah. opposite of the yeah. Glenn Greenworld worldview. Huh. Which is you can do nothing wrong if you're America. Oh, you know, yeah, because you're you America, yeah. because you, it's almost you actually had the perfect metaphor there with Trump. Because it's America, they need to let you do it, Bingo. right? Bingo. But Bingo. Here's, here's, here's where okay, I will find my, the ground where I think is, is safe hmm. ground and good ground and been a great cultural aspect of America. American exceptionalism led to manifest destiny, and it led to Native American slaughter and a lot of other things that Jared is talking about. I think the American myth that we need to play out more is the American dream, and yep. I think the American dream has the positive elements and not the everybody should want to just be rich because Reagan added that part to it, and that's that's corrupted us in, in so many ways. It It is that everyone, if they work hard and they come to America, will be treated equally and will have the opportunity for the next generation to do better than they did. That is the part of it that really emphasizes, first of all, we're all yep. in it together. Um, it emphasizes hard work. It emphasizes it doesn't matter who you are, what you are, who you love, You know this, that, the other thing. What matters right. is, is right. that you're willing to go out there and do what it takes so your kids can do better than you. And I think if- that is the is the useful part of our, our mythos. And I think you're, Jared is 100% right in the part he's saying about religion, because hmm. I will give you the one little irony of the fact that... that You know, one of the biggest, most infamous or famous, however you want to look at it, uh, Mm -hmm. neoconservatives, Irving Kristol, Bill Kristol's dad, who's now come back to us, funny enough, (laughs) and 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 is turned against the creation that his dad uh, was uh, was sort of there at the beginning for. He they he when he moved over and went from being a Trotskyite on the left to to joining the far right. um, The thing that he always said is that Christian myths were necessary for keeping people in line and for huh. keeping people, uh, you know, conservatives. Yep, that's right. He was a, he was a student of Strauss, the University of Chicago School, and all. So you know what I'm talking about, Jared. And they believed that these useful myths, as they called them. Well, religion, it turns out in the end, healthy religion. You know, go to your your moderate mainline Protestant church, or your Reform conservative Jewish temple, or your other moderate forms of religion. Kind of like I would go and go. So I might go to the gym. I might meditate. I might do yoga as a healthy spiritual part of your life. Great. But when it becomes the defining part of your life, that says you can do no wrong and you have the right to take whatever you want from other people because they're not as good as you because they don't follow your particular view on who your deity is. That is that – is, that's tied up in, in exceptionalism, and that needs to go away.
2: And, so, and let's take it for a second and combine that with our capitalist structure right and 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 the link between that is where you find all of a sudden Jerry Falwell and Ronald Reagan obviously starting to talk about the world through the idea of good versus evil, but all of a sudden you then have Reaganism, which starts painting Americans who fall behind as sinners right Correct. if if God favors okay. America right. and our structure is right. is divinely inspired, then what happened then to you? He, <laughs> what happened to you then obviously yeah. you yeah. are either evil lazy or a combination thereof right and so then we end up in a system where not only is it you know economically like not a good idea to help people or provide a social safety net, but it's actually sinful to help these people. And these people are actually engaged in a larger spiritual conspiracy. And this is one of the reasons, of course, why the white identity evangelical right has not only embraced Donald Trump, but are now involved in what they believe is a supernatural war. Because when you actually take the myth of American exceptionalism on its face, (laughs) The idea that we are divinely inspired and empowered. Well, then how could America ever falter? And unfortunately, we're in a faltering moment. So what ends up happening is that fascistic movements are empowered by those nationalistic divine myths. Right. And the reason like so if we were going to have a talk about why America is faltering, it's because of right wing decisions and mistakes and. The fact that they've used all of our money for these giant military projects, and, and they don't govern don't anymore, and we've had the
0: two worst presidents in the
2: history that I'm and sorry, they don't right? govern, and they betray our interests constantly. <laughs> but this whole thing that's happening right now is that you say no, it's a conspiracy, and because we're a divine country, uh, you know, they obviously talk about things like you know satanic conspiracies, which right. also, you know, in the parentheses is a Jewish conspiracy, right? And Sweet, with- we like to get in there where we can exactly and it's the exact same story (laughs) The protocols of the Elders of Zion became the New World Order. Became the Deep State. Became QAnon and Trumpism. It's and all, that's all of it, with some with some some. I mean, I'm not to criticize you with with some
0: stuff in between along the lines. No, of, with
2: a couple of spices it, here and there.
0: Yeah, the Welch, you know, type uh, stuff in between uh, the what, what's the faces, oh, I can't think of from the '60s, the Burgers. like um, some of that, right? right where the, you're you're very right about that. That that all was from like, all goes back, and I even have argued, Jared, and, and with your background i'd be interested you know if you think this too but but the, there's no doubt of the link the QAnon kind of you know like the pedophilia oh, yeah. and and democrats eating babies going back to the christian blood libel of jews well, and actually but let me ask you this further. i've thought for a long time that that's that is absolutely what abortion is about too
2: is I that it's tied that. into oh, that whole
0: it's tied into the whole yep. thing of here are these that's liberal, you know, doctors. Guess who the doctors are, right. wink wink, yep. who are taking yep. your right. babies and, you know, I've also in
2: case. Go ahead. <laughs> that's interesting. I'll I never tell thought you- about that. Yeah, yeah. But this actually this actually blew my mind because I'm actually working mm-hmm. on a on a new project. I like to blow and your mind now again, Jared. Well, it's, and, and it's completely linked, and this is something that actually it, I had to go on a walk after I found this out. So mm-hmm. I was actually studying like the the Christian takeover of ancient Rome, right? How how like the the, the evangelicals took over this giant empire. And one of the things that well, I I'll say found quickly, was, Jared, and I'll let you talk. You're going to be really excited then because I,
0: I just read there's a Passion of the Christ two coming out.
2: Well, I mean, you know, the electric boogaloo,
0: that's going to be the really cool one where Jesus rises up and kicks some Jewish (laughs) ass. (laughs)
2: Well, I got to tell tell you that before they were allowed to worship in public, Christians had to worship in private. And let me tell you what the rumors were about Christians worshiping in private, Uh that they were killing babies. They were drinking their blood for magical powers. They were abusing yeah. children as part of their worship, and then immediately, what ended up happening after the Christians took over the Roman Empire is they started saying that about Jewish yeah. people.
0: Nobody, you know, it's, comes it's, up with anything new. They just borrow the it's stuff the that was,
2: thing. yeah, same. Yeah. Over and over, and what you actually find, and, and Cliff nailed it, one of the things that you actually find is during the Roman Empire, particularly when the Christians are taking over, they're even back then portraying abortions and abortionists and people who get abortions as agents of Satan who are somehow Interesting, in that's bad. Fa- that Satan I did not know. Sacrifice. But,
0: yes, huh. it's a
2: constant thing. If you, if you get a few minutes today, people who are listening, go and look at the Apocalypse of Peter. Which is like one of the books that didn't make the Bible, but it you know it talks a lot about people you know roasting and filth and such—the kind oh, of nice. thing you want to read on an afternoon while eating lunch. Yeah. And what you end up finding is that this entire story that we're telling right now is based on that same myth of exceptionalism that empires have always used to control people and consolidate power. And because we know that, we can interfere with it and short circuit it. But right now, we're we're drowning in this thing.
0: I also want to be honest here and make sure that, you know, I know John's a good chef. I'm not really. But if I'm going to be honest with all of you, like I have not found evangelical blood to taste very good myself. When I mix that with a nice glass of wine uh, and and also – Chianti. Yeah, I was going to go there. i go, <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> I, I just – you know, but but go oh, Catholic blood. That's the stuff, folks. That's the stuff. Okay, I'm stopping. Go ahead. <laughs> I have to as the Jew here. I,
1: I mean, I, what can I tell you? Yeah, well, so let's, um, can we, I mean, if, when you guys are done, I'm, I'm trying to, I want to sort of bring this more to the finer point of what's going on with the election and our concerns there. Sure. Well, let me bring the, the
0: to me, see, and, and I think that, that, Jared uh, was making a good point there. I would add another element to all of this: the religious part, no doubt, based on so much myth, can get people. Because look, anything that can get people to react emotionally rather than logically is where these guys want to play. So if you can say, well, you know, Trump, I don't know, I don't really get it. I mean, shit, the guy curses all the time. He's had three wives, likes the porn stars, you know, is, is you know, is, had his foundation taken away because he's a criminal. Blah, blah, blah. But the other side. Are filled with liberal, you know, baby-eating God haters. I guess they got to go with Trump. He's he's got to be the man of God.
2: He's a, he's and, a and, God and king.
0: Right. And this is where, again, and I've seen this, by the way, with conversations I've had with conservative friends, because I have been working on some conservatives I know who either at this point won't vote for Trump, but can't quite bring themselves to vote for Biden, or are, you know, leaning Biden, and I want to sort of make sure that happens or whatever. And these are not, these are smart people. And I will, I'll tell you, the the propaganda aspect of the right, what we've allowed to sort of become this all-encompassing world, what they get, and this is this, you know, you can look at Russians who are masters of propaganda, you know, you can look at uh, and we talk about what about is being one other big, big, great ones that they use on people. And we can go into what that is, but you go back and, and look at people who've used and that includes our CIA propaganda brilliantly is if you can get somebody to a point where they say, OK, that you don't have to convince them that the person on your side is good. You just need to convince them that the person on the other side is some form of evil and religion and they've got already got the religious basis to do that and some of these other things these myths have gone for a long time so i you know i find myself having these conversations with people where i have to say to them they're like but but you know Joe Biden is going to be taken over by the far left AOC Elon Omar you know blah 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 anti- and, and I and I have to have these conversations with them and I'll just say guys whatever you think of people saying those lines whatever you think of AOC and Ilan Omar and caricatures of them are certainly put out in the media which is what this is based upon mm-hmm. um, but I would say to you that I have to make sure and almost have to sit there and be like what are you talking about. You know whatever you think and whatever everybody listening to this podcast thinks. When I'm talking to people like this, I have to say, you know, during this campaign, Joe Biden said, "I'm not going to defund the police." He said, "I'm not for Medicare for all. I'm for a public option." You know, I mean, he he made these things very clear in what he said. So so I have to try to remind people that may not agree with all of us on everything, but who are potentially winnable because they are in this sort of you know like, who was it? I think there was. A dig- Digby used to call it the puke funnel, the right wing puke funnel, where you just you're getting it from Fox, you're getting it from talk radio. Now you're getting it on email lists and it is a constant, all this garbage. And it's how they hold people in place who do not like Donald Trump and do not respect him.
2: And again, we have to go. I'll I'll just add to that and and I'll bring it back around to the the election, because I think that's a good point. Is like there's a lot of theoretical stuff we're talking about here, but we need to bring it back into um, what we're dealing with right now. First and foremost, I want people to remember this. If Joe Biden does get elected and Donald Trump gives up power... The, the thing that right-wing media is going to say for all of his term is that he is a puppet of Kamala Harris and you know Jewish puppet masters that's what that's what the the, the fight is going to be his husband's a Jew that is, that's right her husband's a Jew that's you're gonna play better. that one too wait till that one comes it's out. gonna yeah. it's gonna co- totally be in that but it's an alternate reality and one of the things and this is unfortunate and I know that I've pulled out my fair share of hair over this the fact is that our media and our politicians have treated the American right as if they are acting in good faith for so long yes. even though it's obvious that they haven't. Thank and, you. and now and now all of a sudden everyone's looking around and they're like, "Oh, it's almost like the right exists in its own alternate reality." Well, that didn't spring up overnight. Donald Trump didn't create that. That this ecosystem that they live in has been built over decades and decades. Of yes. Work.
0: Dude, a lady had to tell us she wasn't a witch in a campaign ad 10 years ago. I love that one. I I, 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 I will always bring that one. she felt it necessary to do that, to try to win. Of course, this game. year, this year she'd, she'd be like, leave. I'm a winner." sure. I always point out, as people who listen to this know, I've got a couple of t- things that I call turning points for the Republican Party. Uh, I said that like that's some big phrase, turning point. No, I'm just Ooh. saying I have a couple times that I look at it, where, right. and one of them is in 2010 when they were able to choose between Mike Castle, uh, a leader in the House, a former governor of Delaware, a moderate Republican down the line who was in favor of gun control and stem cell research and gay rights, who... Literally was a direct descendant, direct of Benjamin Franklin, Hmm. and they rejected that guy for the witch in the primary. That's right. To me, if there's no, there's who had no experience in government and was crazy. There's no more telling moment. That, that, but my point is, I'll say quickly and kick it back to Jared, that that he's, that that he's so right that these things, and we've ignored them at our own peril, and it's why I talk about what we need to do about Fox, or and I ask our guests how the hell we, we answer them. And I get so many people on the left who piss me off and just like, First Amendment, First Amendment. Well, the First Amendment, whatever, or some form of it was there in Rwanda when they were encouraging them to go out and mass murder people on talk radio, and it didn't help. Yep. Um you know, there there is a point where, where terroristic threats and these kinds of things go past the First Amendment and we have chosen to ignore all of this stuff. So it's and grown. Go. And, Sorry, I'll
2: add, and I'll add on that I'm so glad that you brought up Rwanda because I was getting ready to actually. One of the reasons that we have to dispel this idea of exceptionalism is we cannot believe that somehow or another that we are immune to this stuff. We have to understand that America really is on the precipice of something really dangerous. We've already seen sectarian violence. We're looking at the possibility of widespread sectarian violence because of this alternate reality and it echoes exactly what you saw in Rwanda with talk radio. One of the things that happens with all of these conspiracy theories, and people need to understand that these people are very serious. They are incredibly serious because they have been made to believe that if they lose this election, if the Democrats somehow or another gain power, that's it for them. Them and their families and their children could very well be wiped off the face of the earth. This is why you're already seeing preemptive violence because these mythologies legitimize preemptive violence. Because if you know the other side is going to hurt you, you need to hurt them first in order to protect yourself. We're already seeing people block entrances into polling places, we're already seeing um, militias going out in public, interfering with legislatures. We're seeing, I mean, you want to talk about African genocides, we're already seeing these platoons of trucks going into cities and places and intimidating with weapons and, and, you know, engaging in violence. One of the things that unfortunately we're going to see coming into November is people who believe in the need for preemptive violence are going to believe that this election is the difference between them surviving and them dying. And and I'm telling you that leading up to election day and election night, we're going to see people who believe that their only remedy for what they believe is a crooked, uh, perverted system is to go ahead and engage in that legitimate preemptive violence, and and that's unfortunately what we're looking at for this election.
1: So let that that's the perfect segue. That was I wanted to sort of start talking about election day, election aftermath. Um, I've certainly been very concerned. Cliff has been concerned. Your tweets don't make it sound like you're feeling any better than you were a couple months ago when we had you on. Um, wh- what do you think is coming for election day and between election and the uh, inaugural?
2: Well, I don't feel better because there is no such thing as shared society anymore. This weaponized alternate reality has completely encompassed the American right. And the problem here Describe is that I'm sorry, shared,
1: describe shared society? Shared what society is,
2: is the idea that we can meet together and start to talk through our differences and find some sort of middle ground that we can move forward. <laughs> yeah. Right now, it's actually the very basis of
0: democracy. It's that there's a social exactly. contract. And we're mm-hmm. a different party, and we fight it out at the ballot box. But when all is over, it's it everything from the the peaceful transition of power to the senators meeting each other and debating without guns. It's all that that in the end, we're all Americans. We're
2: all part of the same group, and gotcha. that's the most important thing. Okay, and Jared, but the exactly right. Is- but the problem is that if you actually study, and this is one of the things that I found in American Rule that I didn't know, which is in the lead up to the Civil War, it wasn't just a debate about slavery. It's that the Southern states started considering themselves to be a different America, a legitimate America, and they were engrossed in all mm. these conspiracy theories. The North was not planning mm. on abolishing slavery. They thought that there were all of these militias that were going to come in and, you know, destroy them and their families and their way of life. They got so embroiled in this stuff that they saw themselves as a different race of people, a, a legitimate race of people as opposed to their neighbors. So one of the problems here is that we have an election where neither side now believes that the other side will either accept defeat or actually engage in good faith politics. The problem is in the past, Republicans have played this game, but they've always stopped short of pushing it to the limit. Donald Trump has no such carburetor on him. He has no such uh, uh, restrictor plate that will right. keep him from pushing this thing over the edge. Other people build up cults of, of personality and cults of influence, and then they move them away. Like you have to be able to do that to succeed in politics. But they've always engaged in, uh, you know, the, the duty or the patriotism of not using those cults to the point of, you know, destroying the union. The problem with Trump is he is more than willing to do that. And because he and Fox News and the right wing understand that this is their only way to win elections anymore and the only way to keep power, Unfortunately, they're all in on this thing turning into not just the demolition derby, but, you know, pushing it to the point where Americans are literally attacking each other in the street. All right, well, and Fox and talk radio make money off of it, too. So there's also that. Oh, it's a great business for them. Yeah. It's the best business for them, because one of the problems is that our, our system of capitalism has become so obsessed with niches. Right. You're not even out trying to get everybody anymore. You're just trying to. Find, it's almost like the Republican Party. They understand that they can't win free and fair elections and they only have a certain amount of the electorate. And that amount of the electorate is, of course, helped by the Electoral College. But in our capitalistic structure, you have a thing like Fox News, where Roger Ailes even said when he founded Fox News, this is a niche we are going after this percentage of the population. We're going to tailor everything to to their idea of the world, plus also helping our political benefit. And unfortunately, we've reached the point where a minority of people in this country have a reason to destroy the country because not only is it, does it give them power, but it also increases their profit, which is a really, really frightening combination of things. Right, and then there's the fact that, uh, that
0: other folks... You know, call them what you will. You can you can feel compassion for them. You can call them the rubes. You can call them whatever, but they've been fed, as you've said, these this apocalyptic messaging that makes them think that you know. I mean, you hear it and even from mainstream Republicans, and that is the mm-hmm. problem: is that these are the kinds of things that used to get you thrown to a backbench or kicked out of, the, of of the party. Which is the kind of, we they will throw out these things. I mean, who just did it? Some very mainstream, mm-hmm. you know, Republican. I feel like it was a member of Congress. You know, was, was sort of like if they win, they're going to come. Door to door and arrest people, and I mean, right. and so when you scare people, I mean, the, the the famous case I always point to, and I used to do this back, you know, when I did a lot of work for every time for gun safety, is it was Glenn Beck and the and those kinds of folks who were telling people that Obama was coming door to door to take everybody's guns. Right. And they did it again and again and again, and of course it was utter horseshit. They were all they were doing was were priming people to watch more Fox News to find out when Obama was going to do it, and how he was going to do it, and right. all this kind of. Crap. And in the end, there was a man in Pittsburgh who was mentally uh off, you know, he was mentally, what am I looking for? Disabled? I'm trying to find the right words. But he had issues, let's say. And he also had an assault rifle because it's America and having issues doesn't stop you from finding a way to get one. And right. three cops were murdered when they came to his house because he had, I think he had, you know, had paid speeding tickets. I mean, there were a few things he had done that really weren't uh, you know, the kinds of things that that were he, he was even going to be likely arrested for it, or if he was, you know, but it was misdemeanor with stuff he had done. But he thought that that was Obama sending them to take his guns, guns so he shot and killed them. I, and I'm so mis- glad you- Right. This is the rhetoric that's been coming from not just all of them, the NRA to their huge email list. The, I mean, they've been doing this. The NRA was talking about jackbooted thugs of the government trying to knock down your door and telling you how best to shoot them in 1990 five and six, which is why George H.W. Bush, whatever you think of him, back when the Republicans had a modicum of actual care for this country, resigned from the organization over that because that's what we used to do when people encouraged violence. And
2: I'm so glad that you brought up Glenn Beck and the NRA because these are two lenses that we have to use to understand what is happening and why we've gotten here and possibly how to get past it. Because Glenn Beck, if you'll remember, like. He was on Fox News, which peddles New World Order conspiracy garbage all day long. He was the one who's like, oh, there's a niche for me to go a bit further, right? To say the conspiracy theory out loud. And then immediately, yep. whenever he- that when comes, he drew he that, right big of, that,
0: that big tree of connections between yep.
2: Soros and, and this? And the blood of patriots. Yep. And then- and so then he thought that the tide had turned against the far right and Trumpism and went on an apology to her, thinking that that was his new grift. And then immediately when Trump won, he went back to it. He understands he's, he's a grifter, pure and simple. And the NRA is the exact same thing. And in league with the Republican Party and Newt Gingrich played a huge role in this. What actually happened in the 1990s is that the Democratic Party actually moved right on the political spectrum and started actually engaging in good faith negotiations with the Republican Party on things like common sense health care reform. And all of a sudden, the Republican Party realized that they had to go ahead and portray a center left center center right Democratic Party as a socialist liberal nightmare Threat. And so they've always seen these moments where the NRA, the GOP, and these grifters who are always trying to feed off of all of these, um, the, all this paranoia, they've always found a place to get their niche in order to fear monger. And as long as they can continue getting the checks, they will honestly push this country into the abyss. And they continually inspire people who are unwell to go on shooting sprees or, I don't know, a Timothy McVeigh who thought he was a soldier in an invisible war. But we've been unable to connect the dots between all of these people because we're afraid to talk about the fact that one of the major parties and some of the biggest organizations and companies in this country are dedicated to pushing the envelope to the point of total destruction.
1: Yep. You know, you remind me of um, one of the issues I always had when we worked on gay rights issues, and the religious right would always say we were pedophiles. And sure. and you're kind of, not you're kind of, you're seeing the same thing with trans issues now. Uh, oh, they want to come in the bathrooms and molest women, and right? So it's always this predator, takes us back to the Jewish thing again, really, but it's always this, they're predators, right? They're out to get you. And I used to, I, I, I really... At one point, I finally started shutting it down. I remember I was on with Dennis Dennis Prager once on CNN, and he brought that shit up, and I literally shut him down. I mean, I just talked over him and said, no fucking way i am not going to let you talk about this anymore. Because basically, and my standard line then became, you know, I've got nephews. If, If a pedophile were coming after my nephews, I would kill them. That's the language you're putting out there. You're putting out language that literally people know that the next line in what you're saying is, of course, you'd kill these people if you had to. Right. And it's the same thing with the way they're talking about us taking over the government illegally. And we're going to do all this stuff. The next sort of logical step is you got to pick up your guns and kill us if we're all going to do this to you. And that's what really scares me. And what really scares me, the extra point is, of course, everything they're talking about is everything that they're actually contemplating, which then really freaks me out. Because, of course, you know, we're the side that won't kill them if they try to illegally take over the country. Of course, you know, I don't think we will. But um. But so then, it, then I don't even know where it leads. Then it takes us to World War II <laughs> and all of that morality and ethics. Like, well, if somebody's tried to kill you, do you kill them back? Not, not World War II, but I mean, meaning a subjugated population. The whole thing is so fucked up on so many levels. But what you're getting at in terms of their messages is, is a message of violence because if we are what they say we are, of course you'd try to kill us.
2: Yeah. Right? I mean, unfortunately, and and one of the problems with this, and I'm sure that you you both have had this frustration. One of the problems on the left, and particularly within the media on the left, and with politicians on the left, is they are so afraid of being called alarmist or reactionaries, and so as a result, they've continued to play a game. And, and and you know, it's almost like a it's like a game of pickup basketball, right? You play a game of pickup basketball where you call fouls, or you everybody has to play by the rules. And the moment that somebody stops playing by the rules it just doesn't work anymore right i mean unfortunately we don't like to talk about this politics society laws these are all social constructs the only way that they actually work is if we believe in them and are willing to defend them and imbue them with power and our own personal sovereignty The left, in a lot of ways, has been so afraid to ever say the word fascism, even though the American right for decades upon decades upon decades has been engaged in not just fascistic approaches, but in other cases leading up to World War II, you actually see that the American right partly inspired nazism and fascism and you're going to talk about apartheid in the south and i think
0: it's important to point out that 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 there was a form of fascism that literally never stopped existing in the South. Uh, at least legally, didn't even stop existing until 50 years ago, and has continued in certain ways uh, in parts of the South until it forcefully has had to be stamped out. So, the, so, and we remember that that those Southern Democrats moved and became the base of the Republican Party with the Southern Strategy. It's then you start thinking about it. they were never committed to democracy to begin with. I mean, they nope. were committed to their racial superiority and to the resources going to them and not others. And so it kind of gives you a, a little bit of an understanding of, of where some of the, the the underpinnings of their beliefs come from.
2: And let's even get more literal with it. Actual apartheid in South Africa, this is something that they they enabled and that they sat, sat by and were totally fine with. Right now, what we're talking about is not just white supremacy, but we're also talking about a relationship between white supremacy and what I would call corporatist or hyper-capitalist, people who right now are exploiting people around the world through slave labor, sweatshops, and they're more than fine to do it. And the only thing, and this is the sad truth about what we're dealing with with the Supreme Court right now, labor rights workers' rights, the type of stuff that keeps children out of, out of factories from being maimed during like a 16-hour workday in squalor. The only thing keeping that from being in America right now is the fact that they haven't figured out how to make that happen the way that they're making it happen around the world. So what we're actually dealing with is not just a group that's trying to win an election or fill a seat. We're looking at a group of people whose power is diminishing because demographically this country is changing. They cannot actually win elections. And so they're destroying democratic institutions one at a time, trying to create a, a place where any opposition like Trump saying that Antifa or protesters are terrorists trying to actually outlaw anybody who even tries to speak against this oppression. This isn't good faith politics. Something has changed and something has curdled, and it is a lot worse than a lot of people want to admit that it is. Did and at least a couple decision. members of the Supreme court to be
0: very clear. Um, I think, you know, I, I don't want to say for sure, cause I don't have it in front of me, but I think Clarence Thomas, I'm almost sure about him um, and certain other ones. I think Scalia, when he was alive, there've been a couple of them who have flat out said that they don't think child labor laws, minimum wage, all of these things, you know, that they, they, uh, they, um, violate the Interstate Commerce Clause. They shouldn't the, – the courts step too far. I mean, again, we are talking about here people, and that's why this Supreme Court justice, all of this matters, because the one thing, even though Roberts has been terrible on virtually everything, uh, the one thing that Roberts showed is that he did care – he's cared a little bit at times about the the institution because it has his name on it, and it always will, and that he wants to sort of keep it having at least a modicum of credibility but if you know they get this next justice on, they've got five without Roberts. It's worth pointing that out. You know they don't need Roberts anymore for right. some of the more most radical stuff. Um, and I mean, and that's you know that's why I, I've you know had some of the Debbie Downer types on on you know play on Twitter and sort of saying, well, do you think Joe Biden really will? And you know, really, would be willing to pack? You know, add—I don't. I won't even call it. We shouldn't use the word "packing." Add justice to the courts is what I call it. Would he be willing to do that? And my answer is, I I do. I think even—I think Democrats who, in the past, I mean, notwithstanding the stupid statement from Dianne Feinstein, but I have a feeling some people are going to have a little talk with her. I think things that that because you, because Jared is right, of course, Democrats have been way too timid, have tried to play by these rules when it's quite clear Republicans have refused to play by the same rules. For you know, I mean, you can go back to even before uh, the the you know Supreme Court delivering George W. Bush the votes in Florida, a thing that was supposed to be a state affair according to Republicans until that very moment. Uh, <clears throat> but even impeachment, you know, you can go back now at least twenty five years and see them start ignoring. Uh, how we behaved and all the norms that we lived by in our politics, and it getting worse and worse. And you know, I'm uh, I'm just saying, like when I, when I see people say, "Oh, well, will Democrats do that?" I mean, I've seen everyone from Barack Obama to Eric Holder to Joe Biden, and a lot more people putting out there, Hillary Clinton, people that you wouldn't have expected this from as recently as two years ago, maybe even saying the filibuster. Uh, needs to go, saying that if they do this with this justice, we're going to have to add justices to the courts uh, and that kind of thing. Because again, if we allow this this ridiculous system to to rule when this when the Constitution never once says how many justices should sit on federal courts, any of them, we're not just talking the Supreme Court here because they've added they've packed other courts already. The Republicans have. Then you know what we we need to to like them is what we need to do. <clears throat>
1: uh-huh Da, 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 da. Ay, ay, ay. um I don't even know where to go from here I'm just I'm just really and I, people keep asking me what do we do you know what do we do election day what do we do whatever I mean obviously we vote we get as much money out there as possible um but you know the Supreme Court nomination they're going to do it I mean they're going to do it right now that Romney's caved right I
0: mean what are we going to do Well they always were I think you we're
2: going
0: to do it Yeah right Yeah they're so do it. so I think to me the answer to that are you you're still with us right Jared yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm with you. I.
2: I'll tell you. Just, I'll tell you for...
0: which is. I think they were always going to do it, and the only way to to either prevent them from doing it or just frankly admit, just accept they're going to do it, but to undo. Some of that damage is to stop being like them and having a proportional response or no response, which is what Democrats have had. We now need to have an overwhelming response that needs to show them that there will be a punishment. And if, if that's the question, enough Democrats willing to step up and say, "I'll give you the quick example." You know, I've seen so many Democrats saying, "You know, D.C. and Puerto Rico should become states." Uh, and then obviously that has to – Puerto Rico has to want to do it because – and if they do, absolutely D.C. and Puerto Rico should become states. There's, just, there's no reason in this day and age that we should talk about getting rid of uh, exceptionalism, that we should have territories that pay – they don't pay income taxes, but they pay, they pay many other federal taxes, and they get none of the benefits of voting, right? Well, at this point, some people are like, oh, well, you can't make the U.S. Virgin Islands or Guam states. I mean they only have 100,000 people. Well, 100,000 people is a lot closer to the 500,000 that Wyoming has than the 500,000 that Wyoming has is to the 38 million that California has, and Wyoming gets the same voting rights. So the way you do this overwhelmingly wow. and you don't do it in a in – a, a, a oh, well, we're just going to put – bring them all, all five American territories in D.C. I'm talking about American Samoa and the Marianas and Puerto Rico and Guam should all – and then – Then you put them in a corner of, well, maybe places with 100,000 to 500,000 people shouldn't have the representation of, say, Texas or California. Right.
2: Right. Well, and by the way, I'm so glad that you brought this up as well, because this actually ties back into what I was talking about with the myth of the exceptionalist founding, whatever we want to talk about. I didn't know this until I started writing American Rule and I started diving Mm -hmm. into like Madison's notes on the Constitutional Convention. First and foremost, fun fact they actually didn't have authority to write a constitution, but that's neither here nor there. Uh Second fact, Is that when they were discussing not just setting up the Electoral College, but when they were talking about setting up the Senate, the reason that they created government that they did was because they believed that ordinary Americans were not to be trusted with the fate of the country and that they wanted wealthy people to be able to run roughshod over them right so that's one of the reasons why the senate was going to be directly uh, wasn't going to be directly voted right. on and it was going to be a a house of lords reasons. and a house of commons a house of lords and a house of commons right. and so one of the re- and, and by the way you'll notice trumpism rides on systems of control the electoral college was put in place to privilege white slaveholding wealthy white men and the senate was created the way that it was to privilege wealthy white men There's a reason why the Republican Party, the American right, and Donald Trump win through these means. It's because these old ideas that were put in place to control regular people are still functioning and still maintaining uh, some form of control over, over regular people. I would make this argument a couple things really, really quickly. One, I don't think it's a foregone conclusion because there are a couple of interests that are competing against each other with seeding this justice. For Donald Trump, it would be much to his advantage to not have that justice in place before the election. It's something to hold over the heads of his voters. Mitch McConnell doesn't care about Trump's fate, simply wants to go ahead and get the judiciary. So there is a possibility for a cleavage there. Who knows what could possibly happen? The second thing that I would say is that American history tells us when American people realize that they are not powerless, and when they engage in solidarity, organization, and form their own communities, they change the narrative of the country. The narrative of the country right now is that we are powerless and we can't possibly do anything. We need to create an environment and an alternate reality to this other alternate reality where this is a betrayal of the country. It is what it is. We're dealing with a fascistic takeover, and we're watching justice be undone. And so we need to be able to form these communities and this messaging in a way that the media and politicians have to pay attention to it. So I don't believe that all hope is lost, but I do think that the only antidote is solidarity and organization.
1: Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I I mean, I don't mean, I'm just in a despondent mood today. I don't think it's all is lost, but I'm just... Not feeling the love today. I didn't even watch the news all weekend. I had it off the entire weekend. I was refusing to
0: watch anything about Ginsburg. That's a requirement I would say for everybody. Which you know, you know, I'm not saying everybody has the same schedule or whatever, but but you know, none of this stuff is easy, and all this stuff is Mm. is sort of emotionally jarring, and it's not easy realizing the sort of the the moments we're in and what needs to be done. So I did the same thing as you, by the way. Although I couldn't get both days off because I had some work I do on Sunday, but I just took Saturday. And I didn't think about any of this stuff. I watched some, some good I watched some good streaming T V, Star Trek Discovery. <laughs> yeah. Uh, here's something here's something a little known fact about Star Trek Discovery. When that takes place, they've already taken care of the Republican problem. They've solved
1: that.
2: Yeah.
0: So uh you know, with the new series,
1: seen... the new the new series isn't out, the new season isn't out yet, is it? Well, I'm on season two up behind. So I'm, okay. you know, don't okay. tell me what happens. Oh,
2: wait, wait yeah. this is a Star Trek show. I didn't realize that. Oh God, I, yes. I, I think oh, I misread the, the invitation. A are British you Washington? are you a fan? I, I, I'm i a fan of the movies, actually, as opposed to the shows. Which movies? Thing well, which movies? There are many. I like them all. Like the original. That's true. Oh, eh, yeah. Movies. yeah. The originals are okay.
0: Oh, yeah. Dude, Star Trek Two: The Wrath <laughs> of Khan, the original <laughs> yeah, one. Yeah, Khan's great. Yes. Words, I'm sorry. Ricardo Montalban. I even like the motion. Every great, cheesy, sort of bad guy. I did too, actually. And I, a lot of people didn't like that. I kind of liked it. Which one? Um, one? I would one? just say that... that uh, the original motion picture, the oh, first eh. movie with, with eh. the original casting, Too long, in 1939, yep. I believe, or so. Here's, here's the, what I'm saying to you is, though, is find something a day here and there for you. For people that work other days on weekends, it might be a Wednesday or it might be whatever. You know, because to emotionally stay in this, you're going to need to give yourself some breaks. So take it. And that, by the and way, then, you know, fascism, you recharge...
2: fascism and authoritarianism – feed off of apathy and powerlessness. That's the other thing. Like, there is a reason why I mean, like, for instance, people like Donald Trump, authoritarians love when their cronies get arrested, because it gives them the possibility to escape punishment, right? They love rubbing your nose into that and believing that there are like stratified types of justice. And, and, you know, the law is mine to use as a weapon, but it doesn't apply for me. They love that because what ends up happening is you create a society where people have all of the rights and all of the privileges that they're afraid to use them. And they, they, you know, sort of shrug and say, well, what's the use, which speaks to that apathy that we were sort of talking about, like the idea of saying everything's lost. Why do anything is the perfect society for an authoritarian to rule over?
1: Yeah, yep. yeah, no, that's and it's and so. it's just it's. You know, anyway, our job to figure out what can be done, but it's not clear. And that, that's the hard part. And I mean, I what I worry about is things getting worse and worse and worse. And we're still in the same position where we're going, what the fuck do we do? You know, I mean, he illegally takes over the government, the military sides with him. What the fuck do we do? The Supreme Court agrees with him, even though it's illegal. <laughs> what they come to, you know, some ridiculous conclusion with the election. What do we do? I mean, it's just, I, I just, I don't, I mean, obviously we'd have to fill the streets anyway. We'd have no choice, but Jesus Christ, I just... Even I'm feeling a little bit of apathy—not apathy, but that's um, no, not an apathy. But uh, just sort of demoralization, demoralization, and, and weakness, or something. I mean, because it's just, you know, we can't do what they would do. They would take up an armed revolution against us. I'm just not convinced that's the kind of thing we do. <laughs> and I'm not really at the point where I'm really re- willing to call for one either. But but they no, would, but I think they
0: would. What we do is we don't just you know? assume any one thing will happen and we try to do all we can to use whatever methods at our disposal to prevent it's all you can do. Yep. Yep. That is all you can do. I mean, again, none of us, can. there's all sorts of things in life that none of us can control, you know, but in the end, what you can control is whatever group of people you're influential with, you know, and, and whatever great ideas you have and whatever you happen to know about the way our government works and probably a million other things I can't think of, you contribute that and you hope that, that, you know, what, that we find a way out, a a positive way out of this crisis. Because again, you know, we've been here before. I mean, you can argue it's worse now because he's president of the United States. Uh, But Nixon was president of the United States. And McCarthy was a pretty dangerous mf -er. And, you know, you can go back in history and find many more examples of that where we were were on the precipice of some pretty bad things. Charles
2: Lindbergh. Charles Charles Lindbergh called for an alliance with
0: Hitler open <laughs> there you go that when right. that could have happened we the palmer raids by the attorney general under wilson oh, imagine what it was trump going around trump just raiding people without due process raiding people's houses deporting people doing i mean imagine you know, what, what trump
1: would have done in world war ii cliff
0: well with with the japanese camp for example oh i, I mean, oh, actually, well, I, I wasn't even thinking there you're right that would have been a given
1: no, but i mean with Hitler, with HIPAA, I'm just he saying
0: have, he would have yeah, exactly.
1: Oh, of
2: course you
0: would have side with Hitler. Yeah. there's no We've already seen that. that
2: he's already every, allied. Every Hitler he has has every Hitler figure
0: alive today sides with. I know. Yeah. yeah. Right. I, I'm just saying, like, like we, it, it's not like the, you know, history. Sadly, I'm mean, I'm reminded of like, you know, if you ever saw the movie Men in Black. We're, we're, like Will Smith's losing. He's like, he's like, if we don't do this, you know, within however long, somebody's gonna blow up the earth. And to, you know, Tommy Lee Jones is turning him say, "Kid, every day somebody's trying to blow up the earth.
2: This is we're we're always thirty minutes away from the earth blowing up." You know, and I, sort will of the say, joke there. I will say, I will say just to go ahead and put a fine point on what Cliff is saying, and a and again to uh, plug my book American Role. So yes. one of the things that I've actually learned in all of this, and I know that it's demoralizing, and I know it can beat you down. The really important thing to understanding the actual history of America and the things that we've done and the mistakes that we've made is that we have faced fascism so many times in this country. There have been so many movements that have oppressed people and threatened violence in the pursuit of power. And here's the thing. We've even been in situations like during the Gilded Age where like the wealthiest 1% or less than 1% completely owned the nation and basically enslaved people in their factories. Like, eventually we found the way out because we realized that we have power and that when we are united, we can defeat tyranny. The The great news is that we've seen violence in the streets, we've seen demagogues, we've seen authoritarians, we've seen fascists, we've seen literal Nazis in this country, like gathering at Madison Square Garden by the tens of thousands. And we beat them back simply because we realized what the problem was, we called it what it was by its name, and then we gathered together to stop it. So there is hope as long as we realize that we've done this before, and we can do it again. There have been a lot of moments
0: where we could have had a civil war, and only one of those moments got us there. I'm not saying that that means, yay, only one civil war. Civil war was horrible, but but you know that based on that issue and numerous other issues, we've had many times when this country could have devolved into fascism. As Jared is saying, and and you know what, we we've been lucky enough to have the right leaders, either at the you know as president at the time, or right in leaders who had independent voices, like a Martin Luther King, step up and put the put the right kind of pressure on those that were elected, and we have found a way to come out out of it, usually better on the other side. Even not to say that there haven't been casualties along the way and terrible losses, there have been, but you know we have to look at the bigger picture. Bigger picture here is about where this country ends up heading. And we know, as Jared said, we all know that the demographics far favor us in our view of things 10 years from now. We know that. So what, what we need to do is bridge the gap from this period of time till then. That's what we need to do. Well, but not the Senate, though.
1: The demographics aren't going to – when are the demographics going to catch up with the Senate? I'll tell you. Literally.
0: I'll tell you. A couple – Ways. One, when we add D.C. and Puerto Rico and a number of places uh, when, and and these territories, as I'm saying, right. and get 12 new senators, that's part A, where, sure, American Samoa or Guam or Puerto Rico here and there will probably elect a Republican, but for the most part, they'll be more moderate. And the vast majority of the time, they will send Democrats. Two, there are a number of states right now, and, and I hate to put it this way, but if we're, going, if we're being honest, demographically, um, where you've got a, a relatively equal number – of, I'm of, uh, of, um, seeing that Jared, I think, has to jump okay. off in a second or two. Um, but I'll say, you know, and I'm sorry about all the background noise, but I, I can't okay. help it. Uh, a relatively equal a number of, of urban, suburban dwellers. And rural dwellers, and a classic example of that I'm talking about is in the state I live in right now of Ohio, which in the short term, with Republicans winning over such a vast number of, the, of rural and exurban dwellers, they were able to, to overcome the urban and, and inner-ring suburban and college town voting in the state of Ohio. Well, in 10 years, that's all going to change because Cincinnati and Columbus and Cleveland and, and those places are growing the rural areas are shrinking and dying off. So what you're going to have, whether, you know, and I'm not saying this to be cruel, but it's inevitable, is that the areas that vote for us are growing, the areas that vote for them. So in a number of states that are kind of on the precipice that, could, you know, right now that are kind of center left or center right are going to move more in our direction in their Senate races. All right. I mean, in addition to Ohio, that's probably what's going to happen in Florida and probably in North Carolina and you're seeing it in Georgia already in Texas And yes, you're still going to have a certain number of small rural states that are pretty much all rural. So even if they die off and their populations fall, there's going to be no city suburban population to make up for them. But there'll be fewer of those states than there are now. Does that make sense, John?
2: So I think yes. it's, also, yeah. it, it's also important to note the desperation that these people are feeling right now. The American right knows that they will not win over time. They have to seal future victory through domination in the moment. They understand that they cannot, they can't even win a plurality now. They can only win in elections in which people are disenfranchised and, and kept from voting. But for sure, what Cliff just said, it's, it's going to spread. I mean, I live in Georgia. It's, it's basically a purple state at this point. Right. And we're going to watch that sort of uh, balance of power swing and shift. But they want to go ahead and get this thing fixed before they lose total power. That's the that's the good news and the bad news is the desperation is for a reason. Yep.
1: I was just looking just at the population of the of the five uh, main U.S. territories and interesting are the five U.S. territories. There are uh, Puerto Rico, three million population, three point two million Um, um but then it gets small after that. Uh, Guam, one hundred sixty thousand. Guam, I looked
0: USVI. I lived in USVI uh, on St. Thomas for a summer. It's only about a hundred thousand or so each. Correct. And Guam is one hundred seventy thousand. US but,
1: uh, Virgin Islands, is one hundred thousand.
0: Right. And I saw. I read an article. I want to say it was in Slate of the New Republic, which of course, hmm. because again, this is the usual stuff that Jared and, and John, you and I have talked about, hmm. of where the left never goes far enough, and we always try to be reasonable. And somebody was arguing, well, Puerto Rico and and and. You know, and uh, DC should get, of course. I mean, look at the size and and all yeah. that. But you know, Guam and U.S. Virgin Islands. I mean, they only have a hundred thousand people. And my response was, is when did only having five hundred thousand people in Wyoming and six hundred thousand people in South right. Dakota stop them from right. trying to overrule the the votes of forty million people right. in, in right. Uh, you know California and twenty million people in New York? It didn't. Yep don't care you could so, also you know, combine them american samoa people yeah. are 100,000 people and 170,000 yeah. 170,000 170, and maybe two things come out of that one you get rid of territories which it's ridiculous to have anyhow Yeah. and two maybe it makes them rethink the whole system and be willing to enjoy to join us in 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 changing our constitution and realizing that Wyoming shouldn't get the same amount as california and the only way you do that is by doing something just as obnoxious to them and saying fine you want wyoming to get the same amount as california well now we're going, to, we're going to have uh, USVI with 100,000 get the same as Wyoming.
2: That's the way. There's you your bumper to sticker. Ball. There's your bumper sticker. Let's do something obnoxious. There you go.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. That's how you get them. It's kind of like, you know, when they're going to start playing ball in the electoral college, which is why I wish somebody Bloomberg, anybody would, would jump in. I'm glad Biden is now going to spend in Georgia, you know, as he said, but I wish someone would also jump into Texas, you know, and whatever when they've lost Texas, And they've lost Florida and North Carolina, and they literally are relegated to states of 10 or 11 electoral votes and fewer is when they'll be willing to to get rid of the electoral college. That's what you need to get things to for them to be willing to get rid of it. And it's the same thing here. It's when they're staring at 100,000 people in USVI, a a, a large number of whom, probably vast majority of whom aren't white, being able to make the same decisions as 500, whatever thousand in Wyoming, then maybe they'll be willing to play ball. Well, can
1: I just say what really pissed me off? And I know Jared, if you gotta go, you can go, but the um Googling this weekend about how you become a state, it's a simple act of Congress. <laughs> that's what I'm saying.
0: Is that every way we can make it, changes without a constitutional change because we can't do that because they will never they will yeah, never right, but, but, that's the not honorable. My, but that's not even my point, Cliff.
1: It's a simple act of fucking Congress. And for years, Democrats have been oh DC statehood, DC statehood. We gotta have DC statehood. We could have had DC statehood any fucking time we had the Congress in the White House.
0: Well, no, we respected the filibuster. That was uh, that's right. But that's what
1: I'm saying though. Yeah. <laughs>
2: that's that's yeah. why I'm saying a give lot, a lot give of us. A lot of respect.
1: You know? Yeah. But it kind of pisses me off because I kept thinking because I hadn't I hadn't read up on it. I
0: kept thinking it was a constitutional amendment or something. It was a simple fucking law. Here's what once you're to the filibuster, <laughs> like legislation, simple acts of Congress will add new states. Simple acts of Congress will, oh. will add judges to courts that have been stolen from us because this, the, nowhere in the Constitution do they mention how that any federal court should have any certain number of justices. And again, right. this is what they would do. This is what we need to do.
2: And no longer like an academic question. Right. And they wouldn't even hesitate to do it if they could. That's well, the and, entire point yep, here. And I'll go back to the Joe Biden thing, which is
1: Joe Biden is president at the very least. He will entertain these ideas if we beat the fuck out of him. And I say this speaking for myself here, though, but we had to do it to Obama in the first couple of years on gay rights, and we did. We beat the crap out of him and it worked. Because Obama wanted to wait. Long story short, wanted to wait until after the 2010 midterm elections. And then he was going to get to don't ask, don't tell and all the stuff we wanted. Right. And we kept saying, no, 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 we're going to lose the 2010 midterms. We're going to at least lose the House. And we were told, oh, no, that's just crazy. And, you know, we were right. But um, but but we beat the crap out of Obama and he came along and Biden came along, too. It was great. Well, right? it's, being
0: cup, but, but it's right. also it's also making the, the proving the point and making the explanation, which is the reason why 2010 happened and the reason why 2014 mm. happened is because we've been willing to respect the filibuster when we're dealing with someone in Mitchell. Well, we'll it, it Let me just right. finish
2: this. Yeah. We'll burn
0: it all down because he gets that if he blocks everything, Everybody ends up getting pissed at the people they just elected to change stuff because they didn't change stuff, and then they throw them out. So the argument that needs to be made to Biden and also to people like Diane Feinstein and really any Democrats is: you want to have another 2010 or 2014? Keep the filibuster. You don't pass all the legislation that's literally been sitting there on gun control, climate change, you know, minimum wage, <clears throat> excuse me, abortion rights, everything that everyone has been clamoring for for 20 to 30 years now and you will have such a record of change, and people will so appreciate you, and, you will not be kicked out during the midterms.
2: And I will just say really fast and I have to jump off and I'm so glad that you had me on here and I appreciate it. Um, I, I will just say that the Democratic Party needs pressure exerted on it because it is on the right side of every issue in terms of, of of opinions and popularity. If you actually go in and do what the people want you to do, you will continue to win elections and we're not going to have to deal with this garbage and nonsense anymore. So if you have the courage of your convictions and if you act and we actually start to make this country better, I think that the Democrats will incredibly well in any midterm or election coming up but absolutely i think there is hope and uh i i, I hope we get to do this again here soon fellas absolutely oh we will
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right, right around the election yeah. well unless
0: they, forget it thanks for being here jared <laughs>
1: anyway thanks jason of or jason, right, Jared. Fellas. whatever the so, fuck your name is <laughs> really
0: appreciate you joining us always man bye jared
1: and Be then if you hang on we'll talk a few more minutes thanks jared yep. all
0: right
2: bye.
1: Um, but no, Cliff, the point I was going to make with that was going back to your earlier point about why even vote for Biden. And the point is, I think we're going to have to beat Biden up on some of these things, I suspect. We may even have to beat him up on statehood. We'd certainly have to beat him up on the Supreme Court expansion. But these things are possibilities if we elect Biden. They are not possibilities if we have Trump. And even worse, things Shit's gonna happen, like you couldn't even imagine in your entire freaking lifetime if we have Trump. But for all the people out there that are still, my God, I had it again. You know, I like Toure. You know, we follow each other on Twitter. I was don't a big know exactly the reason you're okay. probably about to say. Because well, he's a he, bingo. He jumped in yesterday and was getting mad because they were talking about Biden. Biden was talking about, uh, you know, he's been trying to win over the working class and all of that, right? Scranton. He's saying he's from Scranton versus Trump being from Park Avenue. And somebody wrote an article about how, you know, Biden was trying to make an argument for Trump Republicans to cross over, or even even Democrat uh, Trump Democrats to cross over. Excuse me, right to back to Trump to back to Biden again. And Toure jumped in and said, you know, when's he going to present the argument about why the left should support him? And I was like, okay, honestly, you know, it's, it's it, it, first of all, we're beyond that point at this point. You know what I mean? Like we shouldn't even be having to fucking explain to the left why. And the fact that that attitude is still out there scares me a bit because I've it's it's at this point, people ought to understand what's at stake. We've already seen it. This guy's going to destroy the fucking country. Biden won't. And at best, we're going to beat Biden up and he's going to be better.
0: Well, to me, the explanation to people like Trey there is that's why we actually try to win over People uh, that have, have either voted for Gary Johnson or voted for neither side or reluctantly, quote unquote, voted for Trump because we can't trust people like you to do the right thing. Because if we could and you would get your leftist head out of your ass, you would you take a look at everything going on under Trump right now. You'd think about 200,000 people mm-hmm. dead from a pandemic and Puerto Rico ignored after being hit by a hurricane and a million other atrocities from kids in cages to ongoing gun violence all of which, by the way, hurt those who have fewer resources and the minority communities much worse. And there, it wouldn't even, you, you wouldn't even think twice about it. In addition, as John just said quite clearly, which is the truth, which is anytime you elect somebody from your own party, whether they're to the left of you, right of you, whatever, if you're part of their coalition, they have to listen to you because they need people to support them from their own coalition. You have nothing with Trump. Right, right. Nothing. Right. So the difference is, as you just said eloquently, John, you elect Joe Biden. He may disagree with you on certain things, even though, by the way, I'd point out he's running on the most progressive platform in the history of the Democratic Party right now. And he switched on numerous issues to embrace Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren's positions like bankruptcy. OK, but if you still think he's not where you need him to be, it's pretty simple. You actually have a voice in pressuring him as somebody as part of a coalition You know, if he wins. You have no voice if Donald Trump wins, none. Yep. So yep. – you know that's it do the okay. right thing or have no voice yep ah, ah, I, had him, I had him i had him waiting the whole show sorry for about r- the for ridiculous amount of noise outside either, but uh, no one yeah, it's a their...
1: it's a truck backing up which kind of feels like Oh, someone's right
0: doing surgery and, uh, on pipes across the way but what can oh, i do
1: that's okay it's the yee yeah, so um shit. All right, folks, we're going to sign off. Hopefully we've got Amanda Marcotte on Thursday to talk more about this topic from another perspective, but equally concerned and agreeable perspective than, than Jared. So we'll see you guys on Thursday. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks for being here.
0: And now a quick word from our sponsor. Well, John, now that we've said goodbye to summer, it's time for uh, for things to get back in our everyday things. autumn groove. We love things, things in the groove. I like yes. things that get in the autumn groove. Yep. The kids are back in school. Well, some kids are. Everything is flavored with pumpkin <laughs> spice. Yeah. And before you know it, the leaves will start changing color, John. With so much Ooh. changing going on around us, it's increasingly difficult to find that extra time for you. The time you need to take care of yourself and look your best. With Plexiderm, wow. all you need is 10 minutes and you can look 10 years younger. Ooh. How? I'll tell you, plexiderm is a clinically studied serum that gives your appearance the right kind of changes. It visibly reduces wrinkles, fine lines, and even under eye bags in just minutes. Plexiderm even works on laugh lines, those, those crafty number 11s, and crow's feet. It can take up to 10 years off your appearance in less than 10 minutes. Wow, that's wow, that's good stuff. Just pour it all over are, your face. Yep. Yeah, you really just bathe in it. The results <laughs> for the best <last> hours. <laughs> yeah, so you can take the family apple picking and look your best the whole time. Even better, because God knows make... that's my biggest concern when I go apple picking. Yeah, so john's going to take the whole family <laughs> apple picking. Um, even better, term doesn't involve any visits to the surgeon. We like that, and costs less than a round of pumpkin spice lattes for you and your friends. Pumpkin spice sucks. But I'll take vanilla latte I like there. pumpkin spice, but go on. Okay. Well, to each our own, I suppose. You can try a six application trial pack for just $14.95 with free shipping when you visit triplexstream.com or call 800-685-1292 and say the code of voices. You also The order also comes with free shipping and a $30 money 30 – 30-day, sorry, money-back guarantee. Make those wrinkles, lines, and under-eye bags disappear with Plexiderm. Visit tryplexiderm.com or call 800-685-1292 and say the code VOICES at checkout.